0: This one is a conversation between me and Sean McTiernan, who used to do a really amazing film podcast about thrillers called All Units, and he now is on a couple of other podcasts. He does one called Live at the Death Factory, which is also about film. It's with Astrid Rose, and it's about scummy... uh, kind of horror movies and exploitation movies and stuff. It's also very good. And he just started one recently with uh, someone else I've interviewed in the past, Alex Deegan, the cartoonist, and they do a podcast together called self pity where they just kind of talk about whatever. And it's really funny. This idea kind of came to me for this episode uh, after seeing Sean writing on Twitter in a long kind of thread about his experience reading the book Dune and he really disliked it and i know he doesn't really like fantasy at all so so i basically assigned him two readings one is the 1982 fantasy novel godstalk by pc hodgel and the other one is i guess it came out in 1984 in a short story collection called viraconium nights but the story is called the luck in the head by M. John Harrison. My pitch to Sean was that I was going to give him one thing to read that he would hate and one thing I hoped that he would like and didn't tell him which was which, but I think it was pretty obvious. Most of the conversation is about Godstalk, which is a book I just kind of stumbled upon when I was working at a bookstore in the past and I thought was really interesting because it seemed so obscure but also really kind of high res and fascinating. The basic story of the book is this woman, Jane, arrives in a city with not a lot of memories, ends up living there, living in a kind of tavern, joining a thieves' guild, stealing a bunch of stuff, learning more about her past, and the city has a temple district. It's kind of a polytheistic city where occasionally the gods come to life and kind of wreak havoc in the streets or uh, the gods are kind of in competition with one another and the different priests of the different gods are in competition with one another. We don't really provide a very good summary of it during our conversation, so I just wanted to get that out of the way here. And then The Luck in the Head is more of a short kind of longer than a typical short story, but not a novella. It's about a poet in a, a similar city, kind of a run-down fantasy city. It's just kind of his, almost like a bohemian story, but with a fantasy edge. And I like both of them a lot. Sean didn't. And yeah, that's it. At the end of your career with being basically ignored or uh, misunderstood for so long, you just seek the refuge of uh, beautiful horses. (laughs)
1: <laughs> i mean like that's why why do you think goodbye horses is such a sad song you know that's 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 the end of the end you know that's that's why everybody knows what this song is right you know it was in science of the lambs it was in two kevin smith films you know like it's 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 a big deal but um
0: and it's but, now a youtube sidebar for it, it plays next after every song for me
1: Oh uh, excellent. So it's like that that um that city Pop song from a few years ago with the happy oh, yeah. woman of that yeah yeah. But um but so someone tracked her down and she is a bus driver and was like I'm very happy being a bus driver. I don't really think about the song that much or whatever. And um yeah, just a just a really striking thing cuz you you don't um on Staten Island but you don't oh, wow. hear yes so you don't hear so it's funny cuz there have definitely been people on her bus listening to that song when the person driving them is the person who made that song you know but you don't think about it i think there's a lot of creative people especially uh women that's probably a coincidence um that uh that that kind of have these creative they don't peter out or anything but it's very difficult to maintain unless you can be trapped in amber to maintain some sort of artistic vitality, you know, um, it's either that or you turn into, I don't know, John Waters turning up at the Red Scare podcast or whatever, where it's like, I guess this is, I guess you're going to keep fucking this chicken, John, you know, like it, it um, because it, it, <laughs> I love when artists who are in the seventies do digital stuff. I always find it really interesting. Um, even guitar you know, doing the 3D shit, or whatever. I mean, I I've
0: with. told you, about the Kenneth Anger film, right? I think I have so. a, um, I have a film that I've been looking for for many years and still have never found online anywhere. And I, the only, I have two friends who are at this screening with me who also remember this film, so I didn't dream it. Okay. But I went to a Kenneth Anger screening that showed, it was like a career retrospective and it showed a bunch of his like 2000s, late 90s video work. And there was a film that was just a found footage film of a guy or maybe it wasn't you know maybe he maybe he commissioned this but it's like a vhs tape or a dv tape of a guy in his kitchen and he has a watermelon on the counter and he's just like hey how's it going i was thinking about fucking this watermelon and then he he cuts a hole in the watermelon and fucks the watermelon and at the like when he comes a little animated gif of the incredible hulk pops out
1: Oh hell yeah. Yes, you have told me about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On uh, on the same trajectory as Scorpio Rising, you know? Yeah.
0: Um, it's it's just so confusing to me that I mean, I guess it, it had the feeling of somebody like learning to use Final Cut Pro, and they're just like, Yeah, like you can you can use anything. You
1: can stick a little guy in there, why not? You know what yeah, I mean? It, yeah. it, 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 yeah.
0: And then uh you can make it move around on the screen after.
1: I think Kenneth Anger knows what clips for sale is, you know, like <laughs> Yeah. I mean, he was born in 1937, you know? um, And he was out there being like, oh, people fuck watermelons. I'm not, I'm not, into- I feel bad that I'm putting off talking about what we're actually supposed to talk about, but... um,
0: Oh, not at all. I uh, I imagine you're sort of traumatized. I mean, like I said, I, I originally sent this to Joe and Annalise like a long time ago, and I'm, I've never successfully been able to get anyone to read this book. So uh, in a way, the kind of a lot of the structure of any of the previous episodes of mess museum has been sort of a show and tell type or an assignment. Mm. And the, the idea being that it's something that, uh, because I pretty compulsively just kind of tell people to, to listen to or read things. And then uh, there's something special about actually forcing them to.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can so, understand that. Yeah um well
0: yeah so making you read this relatively obscure uh fantasy novel was some type of aggressive act that's how i interpreted it all right show show me on the doll where the
1: (laughs) where where the world where the world building yeah yeah Um, i uh hold on let me get out my google doc called i want to kill myself um but, (laughs) but so i thought so just um Little background for the listener who's probably like, "Who's this mysterious man with this horrible voice?" Um, so I never, never read fantasy stuff ever in my life. Um, like I read Lord of the Rings when I was like twelve, and I thought, "Well, that's quite enough of that." Genuinely, that was my reaction to it. Now, obviously, being a big nerd, um, I have been adjacent. I have been, you know, Lord of the Rings and whatever shit adjacent for my whole life so I've picked up a lot of ambient information about it like um, a lot of it's racist um, it's boring and that goes on for a long time but I have very rarely actually sat down and you know because it's not there's there's nothing elementally appealing to me about uh, Americans pretending to be English and like adverbs and the other stuff I would associate with fantasy or whatever um, yeah so and i know it sounds like i'm being very dismissive i am uh but so so this was interesting to me because this isn't like because i've tried a couple of times because i i love to learn you know i've tried a couple of times to um you know i I read the gene wolf thing the first book
0: you know who gene wolf is you know yeah litany of the long sun
1: yeah so i tried gene wolf terrible um, I found a book. It's one of those. It's very difficult. Like I, I find fantasy stuff extremely difficult to follow. Just the names and every like real dad shit. You know, I'm just like, who are all these guys called? Like fucking, you know, whatever. I read this other fantasy novel. I read two of them. Uh, I was really, you know, going great guns. Uh, this guy R. Scott Backer. Have you ever heard of him? Oh no. So it, he's the guy people recommend if you like grim dark stuff. You know, and um. I, you know, that sounds, I like horror films and stuff, you know? So I was like, okay, this plot is going to sound, sound startlingly different to you. A mysterious person arrives from the wilderness who has a um, kind of, like, lineage that is, like, basically godlike, but they're not sure about it. Um, this person has all of these powers that never fully get explained and they seem to be journeying to do something with gods or whatever. So I don't know if this is a standard thing, because that's kind of how the Gene Wolfe book starts as well. A person comes out of nowhere and goes into a school for tortures. So I don't know if I'm just amalgamating the two fantasy books I've read, but it feels like Godstalk had a similar plot, you know? Yeah, Um, absolutely. but, uh, But the thing about R. Scott Backer is... Uh, the, the the character's main power is like objectivism basically like it's like weirdly libertarian and like you know being a fan of Mr. A I was like maybe I could get into this or whatever but like he, he's so you know the objective perspective he can like stop time more or less and is like a real you know out for himself you know like you know whatever principal actor kind of guy and then halfway through book two they reveal the uh the kind of antagonists are, uh, and this is about a thousand pages of small text into this story. You know, um, the antagonists are uh, sex aliens with black cum that uh, that sexually assault people. And I have to say, I put it down after that. Um, <laughs> and uh, didn't didn't continue. Um, I found out he wrote a sci-fi book because he believes that the brain. Is in charge of all the emotion, which like sure, whatever guy, you know. But when some guy re rearranged people's emotions, so like if somebody in charge of a children's charity becomes like a cannibalistic pedophile, and it's the, proving that the brain is all. So that's kind of another. That was another attempted fantasy. But this Godstalk thing. So how did you find this Godstock book in the first place?
0: A very long history of this is that I used to work at a used book warehouse. Okay. And I was into this website library thing for a while, which is kind of like a precursor to Goodreads. Ah, okay. Because I was at this warehouse and we had all of this backstock of used books. I would just like search for things from people's libraries to see if we had them. Oh, okay. And then I didn't find this book, but I told my friend who worked at the West Coast version of the place I worked. And then he eventually sent it to me. Another weird aspect of this is that in the copy, so he sent me a like mass market paperback of it, which is like a whole thing I'm curious about with this series and with this author is kind of the way it was marketed and the, the attempts to kind of find an audience. And yeah, same
1: here that the, the publishing history is actually very
0: interesting. And then inside of the copy of the book, there's this kind of, it's roughly the, it's half of the size of a letter and it's a typewritten letter from the author Oh, Um, dated March 4th, 1987, and it's to a professor, and it's just like, I guess she was a um, grad student or something, I think. Anyway, the letter, it's really short. She says, since you seemed interested, I enclose a copy of my first novel, the first draft of which I wrote during the year I took off between the MA and PhD programs. When you asked if it was serious, for some reason I thought you meant the opposite of funny. My wits never do work very well over the telephone. As for it being an attempt at real literature, yes, it was to the best of my ability. This sort of fantasy seems to have more academic credibility than I ever expected, at least among the children's literature people, so much so that my publisher is flying me out to California in May to talk to a group of them at the International Reading Association convention. I find that utterly utterly amazing, all the more so because I'm not a children's writer, however however Athena markets me. At least this book and its sequel also out in paperback and book club editions. Older readers will get a shot at them too. I would include a copy of the second book, Dark of the Moon, but Berkeley hasn't sent me my author's copies yet. Dreamhaven and Dinky Town, or Uncle Hugo's, should certainly have copies, if not the local grocery store. Regards flags. Pat Hodgell. Yeah. Um that's that's really
1: interesting that's i mean because there are i looked up on the internet and there are hodgelians out there you know there are people who are big Hodgeheads, Hodgeheads. sorry um that's what they call themselves but uh that's very interesting though that the kind of ya triangulation was happening in the mid 80s you know
0: where... yeah i mean i think of it as similar to Ursula Le Guin but like I read the Earthsea books when I was in middle school and then I've read them again several times after because they're all pretty short and pretty simple those are also marketed as YA books and then or like uh, A Wrinkle in Time was not written to be a YA book but that's just it was rejected by like you know dozens of publishers and then finally they're like hey we could say it's for kids because it has kids in it. It's not really a distinction that interests me very much, to be honest.
1: No, no. And to be to honestly, the only thing that would interest me about it really, it's two things, right? It's what, it's the the new thing where people write books where they actually are like, okay, I need world building. I need themes, you know, like, and there's plans to that degree. There's kind of the NaNoWriMo thing about approaching literature, which is part of, you know, I can talk to big shit about this, but I only read like thriller genre fiction and they all do that as well you know but um but what's interesting is the retrospective thing you're talking about there which these kind of you know these books that were sort of in between are suddenly these ya touchstones and you know that the authors might not be delighted with that also like teenagers i mean like books that um precocious teenagers seek out being redubbed ya books seems really unfair to both parties really you know Um, because if they don't think they're reading an adult book, they won't read it, you know, like, in my experience, like, because the sci-fi writer, I guess I um, have read maybe the most of is Samuel Delaney, and really, I only like everything else, really, you know, I only like the books, like the 900 page books about gay sex or whatever, rather than the um, 400 page books about gay sex in space. Um, So... (laughs) It's uh, it's a it's a key distinction, but it's there. Uh, fantasy and sci fi. I'm actually kind of surprised, or I became surprised a couple of years ago when I realized everyone groups them together. You know, like the people that read them and the people that talk about them. Where I'm perfectly willing to entertain a little bit of Quason from the Guabdol Nebula or whatever, but like the second somebody shows up with a sword, basically of any description, you know. Um, and is like you know, oh, you have to cross Lake Wobegon and fight the Garrison Keeler or whatever. I'm like, oh Jesus Christ, fuck this! Like, I just can't take it at all. Um, so the fact that they're like, oh yeah, they're the same. They're speculative fiction. They're it's like, uh, and a lot of a lot of science sci-fi is like, it's not just bad; it's detrimental to planet Earth. You know, which is kind of <laughs> it, it's interesting in itself. But like, uh, you know, fantasy, like one of the most popular fantasy writers is like literally takes other fantasy books i know it sounds like i'm talking about this a lot this is not our scott backer i'm talking about it's terry goodkind takes popular fantasy books and just rewrites them with the main character being a libertarian um and uh that's like a thing you know so i think maybe it's, it's funny that these books often get praised as being without politics, whereas somebody like Ursula de Guin or even Samuel Delaney or whatever, it's full of politics, and there's as much or way more of the other kind, the bad guys, you know, or whatever yeah. reactionary stuff as well. So it's kind of, it's a weird, it's a weird well, zone,
0: you know? I mean, my understanding is that uh, some forms of speculative fiction are considered soft SF or something, especially if they're, if the speculations are like, the left hand of darkness, the the main conceit is like, oh, a planet without gender. So they're like, because it's not, oh, uh it's not a concept of space-time or something that yeah. is enough to relegate it to a subgenre.
1: Yes, there is definitely an air of there are serious sci-fi, which is like somebody did the maths, you know, Werner Vingy or whatever did the maths and this is actually what would happen if you push a cool guy in a black hole. And then there is, you know, um the Black Mirror thing of like, what if feelings were guns, you know, or um <laughs> are that or <laughs> that kind of stuff, you know. And there is there's in between as well, you know. Like what if text messages were friends? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, what if stuff that's already happening was happening? Please congratulate me. It's funny because you know, the 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 Rod Serling stuff is way more cutting than the Black Mirror stuff if you watch it, you know. It's literally like that guy on the street, he's, he's Hitler, you know, there's stuff like that. And like, Oh, a loud guy, Hitler. Um, in the, I'm like, everybody, everybody remembered Hitler but back when he was saying that. And now, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, internet hard to tell good or bad, you know,
0: <laughs> like one of the first episodes we did was the one about, uh, Howard Waldrup's story, which was like a historical story with about like modernist paris like it was like it had yeah. like picasso in it and stuff but a lot of his stories are basically more or less kind of regular fantasy or science fiction tropes but then usually like have a kind of sense of humor or like a weird aspect One another one i would i would have sent around if i could make people read stuff more was uh, he has this story called um mary margaret road grader that's uh okay. it's like a it's basically about like a kind of mad max type world so it's like all of these you know tribal post-apocalyptic guys getting together to have a tractor pull (laughs) see immediately i'm in like that's
1: good that's cool like i don't know why this you know this gimli son of guy shit just puts me off so much but like because there is a lot of interest and i'm sure there are (laughs) there's the equivalent you know where it's like ah we must journey to the we must bathe in the Abe vigoda you know like it's it's like I'm sure there's just as many, you know, there's just as much sword shit that is good, but it it really it's just a brick wall for me. My,
0: my question for you would be, what about in what about in heavy metal? Not not both the magazine heavy metal, but also because I know you listen to a lot of metal. Yeah. Like does fan do fantasy themes? Is that a is that a world where it makes sense to you? Does as you long as a... it's
1: racist, I I will <laughs> give it. no. But I I I know what you mean, and I and I think like it's funny because um, blood incantation is one of the, and uh, like dropping blood incantation is about one level above being like, there's these guys with a song called kill them all. Um, like <laughs> it's that level of obvious to people that listen to this type of music. Like, I don't know, like, like, but it's, but blood incantation, I really liked their, they, they did an album that was just really, really kind of good metal. And then they did a ambient, like they had the most popular of this kind of metal, album a couple of years ago and then they made a fucking like studio bound <laughs> like 1970s high production ambient album it, the sickest decision anyone has ever made I think with the with the level of like hype they had around them but their are their their big album um they were like the absolute peak of you know kind of uh, death metal at the time hidden history of the human race is a sci fi, their whole thing is being sci fi. It's not being yeah. like they're not like you know, um, I don't know, fucking King Diamond, or I, uh, although I think D- King Diamond might be contemporaneous, I think he's just lepping around with that face on. But I do think, like, yes, like so Swing of the Axe by Power Trip, say you know, but I think one of the reasons that is attractive to me or that kind of stuff are Bolt Thrower, say, right? Like, Bolt Thrower is the, is the bridge. Do you know who Bolt Thrower are?
0: I know who they are, but I don't like... uh, You don't know their deal. I I would recognize the album covers. You
1: (laughs) would would. definitely recognize the album covers because it's all Games Workshop shit. Yes. Um, Yes, and their whole thing is, I forget how, but they're very related to Games Workshop, which is um, UK stuff, which is a bit like 2000 AD. And in 2000 AD, this stuff kind of makes sense to me as well. It's just, I think it is I don't know Like, I mean, it's, it's sorry We don't have to spend the whole episode being like Why do I hate this? But I really, really do You know, like I, yeah. I, I just <laughs> I, I like, because in Heavy Metal, the comic it's They're not the stories I like You know, but they're fine But in Metal, you can't, you can't tell What those odds are saying anyway, you know As long as they don't put like a big fucking iron cross On it or something like that But as long as, you know, they're I don't know, medieval anarchists or whatever, it's fine but when it's like i think the other thing is i have a very short attention span and i can't 800 page book where people are like read a couple of these and then it gets good like that's offensive to me fundamentally i see what you mean yeah you know it's like yeah i'm gonna spend the same amount of time i would spend reading the man without qualities to find out what fucking quasar's parents are called like i can't do this you know and um and i tried with you know with uh with audiobooks as well. Like Godstock I listened to. I didn't read.
0: Oh my God. Uh, I can't even imagine. I I, I I also I would imagine I would really dislike it if I listened to an audiobook of it. Because I, I, I wonder a part of my experiment with making you read this is wondering how much of how much of my high opinion of this book is is gymnastics in my head.
1: How I would describe the experience was like power violence, but an American theater kid. Like it was <laughs> uh, it was absolutely like it was this woman and she was had a fairly good voice, I guess, for the main character who's called Jane or whatever. And um, this book is, by the way, is about a, a Spider-Man woman arrives at a city with no memories except she remembers everything and she steals, <laughs> she steals a pair of gloves. She resurrects a frog, uh, kisses her step brother or something and then has to go into the mountains that's more or less what happens and um that's right right that's fair enough
0: yeah um, and yeah. uh she's a part of a a not just a separate race but like a trio of races that yeah. is uh being chased from dimension to dimension by something that's completely unclear yeah, I can start to talk a little more about, I mean, you should talk about the audiobook, but afterwards yeah. I can explain a little more context of the book. So the audiobook,
1: and I don't want to, like, the thing is, with something this size, I don't want the person who recorded the audiobook to hear this and be like, that sucks. But, I mean, they're probably going to say that already because the theatre kit thing. But I find audiobooks are a whole other, like, you know what? A cringe and all as this was when when like if i mean if you've ever heard in Amer- like you live in america well if you've ever heard an american say like yes my dear and little one and stuff it's like oh my <laughs> god i feel like i'm making eye contact with somebody with like with fucking you know their 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 comic printed on too shiny paper at a convention like it's so viscerally like no thank you to me but like you know she she was doing all the voices and stuff nothing is as bad as crime audiobooks where there'll be like here's some slurs coming up get ready to hear the most relish you've ever crank heard crank up the anyone. volume yeah yeah yeah. exactly i think it it was interesting to me as well because it's a female main character um a lady wrote the book but most of the voices in it apart from um gentle widow clappity are uh, <laughs> are are uh, fellas and and her doing the voices was kind of, uh, again, probably genuinely less ridiculous than when crime guys were like, "Hello, sailor," or whatever. But it was just <laughs> it just because I wasn't getting on with the writing, and I was like, oh, "I fucking hate Terry Pratchett shit." But um, it it kind of made it a bit less. You know, there was all this gruff. It just, it just felt like, you know, my immortal or whatever. Like it, it, it didn't, it didn't hit for me that the the audio experience. Huh.
0: You know? I mean, because I wonder, I, I, I really like Terry Pratchett. I. Uh, Everyone does, but me. I, I'm. I don't I'm, think that's true. I'm I think happy to be wrong. You know. I, I think it's um. I think it's associated kind of similar with Douglas Adams. It's associated with kind of. Uh, to me, with like a kind of lame high schooler stuff. <laughs> yeah. Or the like... thing is,
1: I loved Douglas Adams until I didn't. Like, exactly. I, so did yeah. I. Yeah. And I think I would, in my life, I would put it along with Bill Hicks, Douglas Adams, and Spike Milligan were all around the same time for me when I was about twenty-seven. No, I'm joking. When I was about thirteen or fourteen, all of those things were like deep, and I'm talking like I used to be able to recite whole Bill Hicks albums almost verbatim. I did for a speech and communications course I did that my parents sent me to because I thought I talked too fast. I recited a, a, a scene in um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and Spike Milligan, I just, I don't know, I, I listened to every Goon Show episode all the time. So I loved all that shit. But I, as like you said, I was just like, it says it in the Bible, put away the childish things. I'm doing it. You know, like I, I can't. And Terry Pratchett is that for me as well, because the Terry Pratchett thing is like, oh, a bit of world building here would be funny. It just never is for me you know hmm. and um and people are like no it's good it's it's basically das capital cal you know or whatever das capital i was trying i was trying to make a pun there with a terry pratchett word and i got halfway through and i was like literally no no terry pratchett words <laughs> Wait, um,
0: you mean they're trying to say he has he has good politics or something oh uh, ho- yeah there's one what? scene
1: where where uh the equivalent of the the like i don't know the spider-man anti-defamation league or are like actually we're just mad all the time for no reason but like I I don't know. I read that somewhere recently. But aside from that, Terry Pratchett is. I think it's because English authors, especially of children's literature, come out and like, and it's not just obviously they Jake try to Renner. be a,
0: the, a voice of reason or conscience and yeah the and they're always do, yeah. yeah
1: and they're always just english people so it, it's really but like <laughs> it's just they come out and they're like i'm a fucking gender dracula i i hate i think everybody should be gelded you know, so what the fuck you know or are like um the, so there's this there's this series of books called horrible histories in the uk that kind of sounds silly, but Horrible Histories and Horrible Science are massive, you know, and they're like fun, gross things about the time, you know, like so I really loved Horrible Histories, Celts when I was younger because it was like, yeah, the Celts used to quiet people's brains and turn them into like hard balls and stuff. And it's like, you know, it's teaching a bit of history, but keeping the gross stuff in it to like make it more entertaining. That guy came out and was like, fuck libraries. Like, entirely <laughs> sincerely. This is a guy whose his children's books are massive. He was like, fuck them. I don't get taking away my sales. Eat shit. Libraries. And um, so I think the fact that Terry Pratchett was just like, the worst thing he did was tacitly endorse Neil Gaiman. Everyone was like, "Yeah, he's a nice guy," you know. He and also he was. It was very sad the way he passed away, and he had this whole world in his head, and unfortunately, he got a memory related kind of illness, and and it was very sad. Yeah. So I understand that uh, he wrote the tweets that were supposed to be tweeted after he died, which you know, unambiguously creepy to me. I'm sorry, but um,
0: I didn't. But even yeah, know I, he had a Twitter. I I kind of I they exist in a vacuum for me like i i don't know anything about him personally i like i said i i know that the series is associated with like you know it guys yeah. uh when i actually when i look at what's in the book and the stories and the way they're written he has this kind of crisp way of writing that is like and I guess we can eventually get into this with M. John Harrison, where I, I find his writing style to be a big draw for me.
1: Yeah. What well, I mean, he's like, like, yeah, you're like, you're like an older guy talking about basketball. He's got good fundamentals. Like, and, yes. I, and I, yeah, <laughs> and I, I agree actually. I think, and I think that might be where Godstock, um, which we have to knock a bit of crack out of Godstock. Cause I spent fucking 12 hours listening to it. Like that's where Godstock might fall down a little bit for me, uh, possibly because like a, a grad student, which is. You know, fair enough. The thing that Godstock is, is it's just a series of it's a series of world it's actually interesting to me because a lot of the criticisms I have don't make sense temporally, if you know what I mean. Because it felt like a video game to me.
0: Yeah, I um, I loved that aspect of it. Uh okay. like right right down to the um the way the protagonist has no memories and so the everything must be explained to her. Yeah. Which is like you know, how of it you know, you wake up and they're like, Do you know how to pause? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, and there, it, yeah, it is very like that. Yeah. And I don't know how to describe like I liked the kind of stream of consciousness recombinant nature of the book. Like I like how almost uh algorithmic it is. <laughs> which I yeah, guess is yeah. not uh which could be considered a huge flaw or a uh you know, especially if you're thinking of it as uh like that's why I sent you that quote about that from energy flash about uh about dance music being you know kind of just barely modulated tropes of what you're familiar with and what you're not familiar with i like the way that certain aspects of it are so ordinary and then there are just these slight tweaks that are so weird and so neurotic and uh so complicated now that i'm thinking about it because i also kept thinking about doro Hidoro. Uh, I One of my notes just says Doro Hidoro. He's, yes. he's going to say it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like,
1: here it comes. Yeah, yes, say the word. But give, he,
0: yeah. uh, like, how I zoomed in on all these parts of Doro Hidora, which is this kind of long, complicated story with, like, kind of dark fantasy elements. But I'm also fascinated with how much the story focuses on, you know, eating dumplings and hanging out. Yes, and but there
1: was none of that. The thing is, Godstock didn't have any of that shit. Like, Godstock was just the most exciting thing that happened at no sense of timeline whatsoever at every single point. You know, Like I'm sure, you know, Wise Widow Clepity was um, making sandwiches and something and and I actually saw a good a Goodreads review that was like, So much of it happens in the end, there's so much sweeping up. I could have done with a lot more of that and a lot less of like steal the magical gloves from the like I think the other thing is that like like sure, there's a lot of fetch quests and stuff. And again, I the thing I thought of when I was reading this was I could have read three McGray books. In the time it took to read this, <laughs> McGray is like multitudes more formulaic than 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 this, especially fantasy at this stage, like adult fantasy at this stage. But I was still just like, "Oh, come on!" But one of the one of the things was that I every single action scene of which there are quite a few, I was like, "I don't know where anyone is or what's happening." In this. I see, yeah, you know. Um, whereas Doro Hidoro helps that it's drawn. Uh, I, 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 you know, the action it's got, again, got very good fundamentals. The other thing about Doro Hidoro is the storytelling is really good uh, because it's this giant universe and what Q um, Ishida does, because the whole comic for me is is characterized by this immense confidence <laughs> in mm-hmm. every aspect of it, is she basically does this entire world and tells the stories by, like, almost removing the first page of every time she cuts to someone in this kind of, like, no, this is like in Media Res at all time, you know, there's no whereas in, in Godstock, it felt like everybody was around the corner, you know, doing push ups and jumping jacks to get ready to say their line and then disappearing again, you know? Um, which I mean a grad student wrote it. That's fine. But it just it really <laughs> it really hit me like it's like, oh come on, like and they were like, Ah oh, yes, um, you know, like Nora Fenn, the magnificent, uh, comes here all the time. And the other stuff, there was so many like contrivances where it's like, yes, because of my religion, um, plot required, I have to, I can only tell the truth. And then sometimes she'd have to lie and she'd be like, I will become selective with the truth. You know? Yeah, And there was all this shit. It's like, it's like when you read preacher and you go. He uses the word of God five times in 60 issues. Are you fucking kidding me? Um, you know, it's like a cool idea that it's very hard to commit to. Like, and and then it has the classic bit where she meets a guy who is like, you know, she's the only person of this race. The entire book is her meeting other people of this race. Like to, <laughs> to an absurd degree. Um, she meets this guy, and this guy's like, I know you're reading a fantasy novel right now. Let me recount my own fantasy novel. <laughs> and then that happens for a while.
0: my argument against world building is you could describe anything as world building. Um, you yes. could, you could uh, make an omelet and say that you were world built, you know, like the, the, so the, the, <laughs> okay. The parameters of the omelet uh, has a world inside of it. It has certain toppings, but not others. Uh, you have rules for your omelet, but at the same time, I think it's a necessary, like, like, I don't know how else to describe what, what God's talk is because like you're yeah. saying, a lot of it doesn't add up.
1: Yeah, I, I okay. So I would I would describe it I would describe it slightly differently then as like um uh rudderless DM uh description. Um where it's like somebody who's in charge of a D and D game is like, ah, welcome to the tavern by exactly. the way, yeah, this is called uh, the Dickhead Tavern because Baron Dickhead decreed that everybody there had to say his name over and over I guess again.
0: To me, there's something like primal about that. There's something like that's like uh, if I'm reading like genre fiction, I'm reading fantasy. It's like there's something about it that like comes from itself. Yes. Yeah, I, I understand. Yeah. And, and again,
1: I know I keep bringing up crime fiction, but it's because it's the closest generic thing or thing of genre that I've read right. the most of and there is a thing in crime fiction where it's like first of all, you know, nobody's got a sword, uh, but also like, it, somebody will It's it eventually it becomes people's weakness emerging, you know, and like say like George Simenon, who I mentioned earlier you know, like the McGray books it is basically, like I have no idea how much of Paris is fictional or not, but you know, like it's that kind of thing where it's like like, I've been to Paris, it's real. But I don't know how much of his Paris is real. Right. But at no stage is he going to be like, oh, by the way. Okay, so in Father Ted, this Irish comedy,
0: there's a throwaway line. I have seen Father Ted.
1: Yes, there's a throwaway line called that somebody just says, oh, yeah, you know, there's no East uh, Craggy Island because it fell off. And that's like, you know, and that's <laughs> a funny joke. You know, you can kind of say that and then never go back to it again and for some for fantasy books sometimes i'm like i don't know which bit of this you know to take seriously or which bit to i have to remember a lot of this is whining on my part but it's like you know it's it's like but i think a lot of this again it makes sense that somebody was was young when it wrote this i sorry i don't mean to be condescending
0: saying that it's just a lot of it makes more sense to me now do you know what i mean i like i think it's tremendously flawed I guess I also have this kind of weird wistful thing about it where, where like maybe having even read that letter when I got it, like endeared yes. me to it. And then I've read two and a half of the the subsequent books about oh, really? this world. I was going to ask, I was going to ask. And it's, they're very different. The later ones I would describe more as a kind of um, along the lines of Game of Thrones, like this kind of very complicated dynastic politics oh so they suck okay (laughs) Um, (laughs) i i I know what you mean yeah yeah it's
1: kind of more yeah yeah
0: and i mean they still have you know these very action oriented sequences and like uh they get a little more hollywood-y like like some of the, you know, there are moments in Godstock that have, that are very similar to like dialogue from like Star Wars, you know, yeah. like, like, uh, low grade smart ass thing, which is now just dominates all dialogue, yeah. basically post, um, what's his fucking face? Uh, yeah, Joss Whedon, including yep. my own. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the publishers get weirder as it, they go on. Yes. And like, they're less edited. Like, there's just the most recent one I read. Uh, I think it's the fourth book in the series is like, just like, riddled with typos almost as though it was published as a favor to her right like there's something kind of but they also get weird like they get more neurotic like you can kind of see her obsessions it's really similar to me to like you know the part in the crumb documentary where his brother his comics slowly turn into just word bubbles
1: oh my god yes yeah yeah
0: it's it's like seeing that happen and it's amazing i mean i don't i mean if you didn't enjoy this one and it sounds like you didn't i, I will not recommend them to you but it i'm is, not rocking with it i'll be honest but, but that is i always find an
1: artist doing that you know is, is always i mean steve Ditko is like one of the yeah. examples right where it's like this is a guy who like fundamentally it didn't just change what comics look like he is what comics look like and he was like, I'm also kind of a weird guy. <laughs> and, you know, and was so committed to it. And and um I have to say that I I was telling um my wife Lisa about this. And um I have to, you know, I actually, listeners, uh good fact about Mess Museum, met Will on my honeymoon and we went to a comics warehouse, <laughs> as people do on their honeymoon. I, I was describing this writer to Lisa, and Lisa was like, this sounds like the coolest woman on planet earth because i said you know um her hobbies are attending science fiction conventions collecting yarn knitting embroidering and raising cats so with the exception of one of those things that's a lot of what goes on in this house so it seems like it kind of follows her own path i have to say i do have some curiosity about god's talk and maybe like maybe i'm being quite harsh on it just because I don't know, it was quite long as an audiobook and I'm not used to <laughs> not used to that. But like maybe I'll go back, maybe I'll become a Hugellian, you know, like and I'll be like, no, I'm I'm into this now. Um, because I don't know, but it, I read some of the, the, the subsequent books and it's funny because on Goodreads, every review is like, I love the city. The city is a character. I've actually never oh, yeah. heard anybody say that before. But the city is a character, I love the city. Am I right in saying no other books take place in that city?
0: Yes, it's the first book is basically like it's very cent- centered around like exploring this city, and then yeah, the other books it's referenced, but they're all taking they're they're out in the mountains and in the fields and in the woods, and like they're much more. Um, they don't return, so then it That's seems very like, weird. It seems like the people who are huge fans are just basically. So this is another aspect of it. If you where similar to what i was saying about terry pratchett where i have this appreciation for the the raw material of it and then once i enter the fan world i'm just like i don't know what I, I, what's going on here did i even <laughs> read the same book as you yes. Is it's my yeah, 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 yeah. reaction i mean which you've had with like elroy for example like yeah uh, oh 100 like yes. like if you read it like you're not a cop so if you like hit you know his biggest fans are cops or whatever so it's hard to imagine the use that they have for it yeah. but they um yeah if you look up her books on goodreads or whatever a common uh, accusation you'll see is uh mary sue yes so what does that mean it's a fan fiction term that means basically a self insertion like uh of like clearly like oh the writer has inserted themselves in oh there's a new member of the uss enterprise and she's she's really good at math and she's uh she has a ponytail just like the author like so that's like for some reason uh so basically the the aspect of the book where the the where jame like keeps uh pulling new abilities out of nowhere okay and uh is like cool and always like has a quip and like that aspect of it i guess to a fantasy fan seems just like uh indulgent
1: yeah and i'm and i'm i know i'm i'm very this is a very kind of i feel like a fucking bread tuber or whatever they're called saying this but is that a phrase that only gets applied to like female characters
0: i i don't know i i i I think the first time I even encountered it was like reading something on Goodreads about it. And then I looked it up and I was like, Oh, I'm very familiar yeah. with this as a thing.
1: Because... Yeah. I saw people reference it like Mary Sue and whatever, but like, is that just, cause I did think there was various parts of this. And I think this is actually a very common, again, another very common crime trope as well, because you're solving a mystery. Yeah. Which is totally different from this book where there is no clear antagonist people in the middle of it have a conversation where they're like, like she says this crisis about why are people, you know, having a shit time around her and in a mystery they'll be like oh why is it like this and it's just all of the characters having a conversation about how it sucks that the plot has to keep going and they have to keep thinking of things and it's just the writer being like oh come on like why do i have to keep coming up with more shit to say like who cares about writers doing a self-insert you know like it's a fantasy book surely you know they're allowed to do that i don't know it's 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 kind of weird to me that that's such a big problem when there are other glaring problems like you know i can't think of any but you know like it's like oh we have to go to the fucking you know chief walmart says we have to go over here I like and i can't follow any of the names or something you know like that's the problem to me not that somebody's like because the character being all powerful that is nonsense but that's a fantasy thing right you know like some they'll just keep a problem going for 200 pages and then somebody will be like hold on i know i know a dragon we could just ask him to do this yeah it's like i'm on i'm here 24 7 roll out like and you know and that's it like you know so i don't know that's a funny thing to be annoyed
0: at it's just a it's a level of logic that just doesn't it just seems irrelevant to me like uh it's a relationship also with the book where you're you're making demands of it that i guess the idea boils down to a an insistence that characters should be realistically flawed or something
1: we're saying ya is not a useful classification or whatever but i have watched a lot of youtubers who talk about those kind of books or talk about fantasy books And they seem to have a load of terminology like this, right? You know, like Mary Sue, or this is one of these things, or yet again, it's mountain man syndrome or whatever. Oh, yeah. And and it's such specific. It's like this troper noticed that, you know, and it's like, I, I don't know, I don't think about, like, I'm not reading that, hardy matthew's book about him being in the cia and being like what a mary sue (laughs) you know he's not in the cia or michelle welbeck you know being funny in one of his own books and putting him in and being like oh man he's not funny he's racist i mean that's true but like you know no one says michelle welbeck's doing a mary sue thing at any point
0: it seems to preclude um any kind of uh artistic intention it's a purely like practical relationship to it where you're saying again i keep thinking of dance music where if you're like well no i only like two-step or i only like four to the floor it's more
1: it's more than that though it's like oh i only like stuff with 303s in it yeah you know it's like that level of like oh no i only like the roland's fucking Either way if you don't have that in it, what if it doesn't have a Nord lead, what am I even doing? I'm just thinking of like, you know, Kathy Acker, major Mary Sue stuff here, you know. Uh <laughs> but uh but what a come on. uh really in high school, but I uh I think that is this way of talking about books, which I'm not necessarily saying I have a better way. I don't know anything about books really, to be honest. Um, it's this way of talking about books which is very quantifiable and it seems to come from how people do English in school, where there is a set interpretation of everything, and there is like almost like an equation you can apply to stuff. And you see, like, fantasy book YouTubers who write their own books and write them like that, and they'll do like post mortems where they'll be like, Anthony Fantano, Heavy Six on the World Building. I really didn't do it as well as I could have. And it's like, you wrote a book. Love yourself. Don't like, you know, go back and be like, oh, it turns out that I really did. I didn't get any of the arcs going here the way I should have. It's like, arcs? You wrote a book. That's really cool. You know, you don't have to ask for contrition because you, oh, you know what they do? You know what they do? Well, they do this thing like, they rate people's magic systems that's a yes. huge thing where it's like how how much sense and i mean i assume this book would make them have a full-on oh meltdown. yeah what's the
0: guy is it rothfuss who's the guy that people always like oh it's a this one actually makes sense there, there's <laughs> Brandon a guy who, sanderson is another oh one yeah there's a guy like, where they're like yeah this guy has invented real magic <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah it's like everything is logically like nobody's ever doing a kamehameha <laughs> in his book without like having built up requisite energy yeah. flown to the right you know and it's like man, you need to like live a better life than this, you know. Like, because I see sometimes again, like you know, when I'm when I'm re- you know looking at reviews of, you know, like fucking I don't know, like Ross McDonald books, Somebody will be like, how did he know the book was there? I'll tell you, mate. You're reading a fucking Ross McDonald book. Like, oh, the Continental Op wouldn't have been able to see that that fast. Dashiell Hammett didn't give a shit, my friend. Like, you're gonna you right. need to just live your life, you know. But I mean, sometimes that makes sense in terms of. Is there that are a books...
0: subgenre though of there's a subgenre of mystery which is like actually solvable mysteries by the reader? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, definitely. There's a there's a um like I was just gonna say, locked room mysteries are very like that. Yeah. Where they, the approach to them is extremely regimented in terms of, you know, and there's different approaches to the books like um Dennis Wheatley, uh, um, kind of infamously he does like kind of satanic thrillers he he has there's a lot of good there's some good films based on his books, but his books are actually they have great covers and names, but they're really boring but he's like a he's a big man for having people like go to the library. It's like I can't read the book your carriage was reading man.
0: like I don't know what he's looking up. There are moments in detective stories of inspiration, but that moment you know there are levels of believability in whether anyone would ever come to this conclusion from the available information
1: again i, I don't know why i keep talking about mcgray but there's a lot of stuff where mcgray like he's talking to someone and it's like oh it kind of posits frenchness as a superpower you know, <laughs> because he like, he like he's like oh obviously he doesn't love his wife because he kept talking about how much he likes going for walks on the scene or something you know and and sure enough it'll be the case or like oh you know she's a And and a lot of it is very, like, I read one recently and it was basically like the whole case hinged on the fact that, like, somebody was going out with an overweight woman and they were like, there's something here. This isn't, you know. So it's, I mean, their books are in the 50s, they're horrible. But it is that kind of thing where you're almost asked to, like, believe they're not realistic or anything you know like the parker books which i bring up i think once every 30 seconds even when i'm not on a podcast there's no world building there is actually because parker is this guy who constantly has to work with other criminals and the way criminals are the kind of criminals there are, are always explained when they arrive in and there's this perfect structure for like a dynamic where guys keep having to explain themselves Mm-hmm. And whatever because they have to do the job you know and they have the phrases and stuff Parker's superpower is he's but everybody knows he's like this he just knows what to do and he's really really horrible accurate at predicting people's weaknesses and that kind of thing and I Parker's definitely a Mary Sue or whatever you know now that I know what that means but there's no because I felt like in God's talk I don't know whether it was an excitement to describe the world or that kind of thing but there was stuff that, it felt like she was just throwing a lot of stuff out there. Oh yeah. Seeing, seeing what stuck. And I think that would only be exciting to me in a first novel because when you're like four novels in and somebody says, did you shift your like stepbrother in the first one or whatever? And she has to be like, yes. And that's what triggered the magic <laughs> because in the in fantasy series and whatever, the few I've read again, it's similar in the crime stuff like There's a Joe Gore's book that Parker shows up in. The the, the main character shows up, you know, encounters Parker. And there's a Parker book where the main character from the Joe Gore's book shows up in. So I am familiar with this feeling. But they have to reward people who remember previous books yeah. to a like really almost asinine extent where they're like, ha, ha, well, if it isn't, you know, if it isn't a uh, fucking Billy Bookcase from the first, you know, and and they have to. and But they also have to keep people up to date in case they didn't buy the previous book somehow. So they have to describe what happened to Billy Bookcase and stuff. It just seems like there's so much
0: expectation. Is Billy Bookcase like a go to name for you? Um, well, I'm I'm looking at one. Uh, I didn't know I didn't know they still made them. So I was like, uh, "Wait, is
1: this?" Oh no, sorry. I might be I might be too sorry. It's funny because what they make now are Kalaxes, which is actually a much better fantasy name. What an idiot I am. calax uh, but, uh, uh, from Ikea. It's like, yeah, that sounds... Okay. Calx expedite. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, tis me, Calax expedite. And I have that big blue bag that's not as convenient as people say it is, and everything's in it. Uh, but uh, my meatballs are unusually good, used to be a thing people say. It, it's funny because there are so many conventions. I feel like people are really hemmed in by them. And that's why when I read June, the um, Frank Herbert book, uh, herb in all caps. Let me tell you that much. Um, I hated it. I just fucking hated it because it was a guy. I just don't like effort. And that's you, my thing. You read it. You, know? you, you read the whole thing, right? Like you. I one hundred percent. I got yeah. to the. I got to the toddler slitting people's throats at the end. Cool guys. Nice one. Um, that's sick. Well done. Uh, but I I read the whole thing, and I just found it was just a never-ending parade of people being like, oh. I see how it is. And then the other character going, I knew he would see how it is. Yes. And now I'm going to say this. And the other one going, yet again, he says, yeah, you know yourself, man. And that's exactly what I will do. Know myself, man. I am self, man. And, uh, and surely your man from um, June is the biggest Mary Sue of all time, because he arrives on a planet and he's Jesus Christ. And then halfway through the book, he gets his superpower, which is he understands the plot of the fucking book. Yeah. That's like, that's his big thing is like, oh, I actually get this. And everyone's like, how is he doing this? You know, the, the spice, I don't know. I think I'm just dumb. What do you think? Do you think it's just like, I'm just, I kind of feel defeated by them more than anything. You know, that there's so much you have to keep in your head.
0: What you were describing before about not like, you described it as rudderless. And then you said like, like basically that like, there's so many details in it's It feels like detail stew so you don't know what you need to remember what you need to uh what's a throwaway and i guess that's the kind of quality that specifically just when done in a certain way of course like that's specifically the quality i think that attracts me to some things okay and in this book in godstock i like that because once nothing matters (laughs) i guess it becomes to me this like pure form it becomes. It's like an abstract painting or something. You know, it's like a uh, a collage.
1: Interesting.
0: Okay. Uh, that, that it's become, uh, the, the air has been let out of it. I guess my question is what's left over? So once all of these details don't matter, so what is left over is, I guess, basically a kind of, for lack of a better word for it, like a vibe.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I get you. But I think, like, I don't know. A lot of the vibe is very... And this is unfair because this book was written, you know, a million years ago um, in 1983 or whatever. So um, I'm not being busy. Like, so much of the standard template was established, like, after that, even though I know fantasy has been going on for whatever. But um, it's it's kind of, like, it's a little bit unfair. But, like, a lot of it is so, like, I'm in a guild, but I'm also a dancer for money. Like yeah, a tiny dancer or private dancer, or whatever. But <laughs> a I'm also like, I dancer for money. But I'm 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 also like trying to get a guy to resurrect religion. And it does feel like it's it is real LucasArts shit, where she's just going between four rooms with a weird guy in them and having <laughs> and having these conversations. And she's just keeping clicking on things until she's like, he's a frog or whatever. <laughs>
0: which is yeah sorry sorry
1: anyway listen we should talk about because it's too i'm sure you can edit this down into a crisp 30 minutes but um it's uh sorry that's a uh, i i have to say doing the doing the new show i it turns out i love cutting Editing. out yeah. 25 minute stretches of podcast because before it didn't really work with the kind of stuff i've done before but this is like yeah it's, it's great um but the look in the head for me like we said it's it's just it's so funny it's happening to a Writer, first of all, Um, like that, because usually stories about writer is like, oh, Jonathan Franzen, I don't care. You yeah, know? Um, but this is like the fact he like straps himself to the bed <laughs> to think for like three. Like every paragraph has a funny detail like that, you know. Um, But it isn't wacky; it gets quite disturbing, you know. Yeah, because um, it starts off and there's what like my favorite. I was like, there's no way it's gonna have a better. Two sentence se- section. Then Crom um, refuted them in a pamphlet. He was content. Which like, man, imagine if Twitter was like that. But yeah, it just the way it just keeps mutating and mutating, and just everything se- they don't explain anything. He's genuinely distressed that it's happening. It, it feels like instead of everybody waiting around the corner to deliver their lines, like in in God's talk a little bit, it it feels like he's that guy you know everybody every the world is happening and he's like what the fuck is going on like i don't but it's not like because he's like everything's weird it's because i guess i have to do all this stuff like it's a very funny way to show a listless artist to be like what's my purpose And like oh somebody turns up with a rotting sword and they're like well you're gonna have to kill mommy you know and it's like "Uh, really you know there's a much
0: a much stronger kind of uh emotional current to the story yes and it's like that that part you mentioned about where he says he reviewed them in a pamphlet, I mean this arguably contains that paragraph arguably mm-hmm. contains like the most um the most of the writer kind of showing his hand where he says uh oh sorry, several of the Lewitpold critics, notably barzella angst who who in Les Bas Chromien ignored entirely the conventional chronology expressed in the idea of recherche." of chrome's long poem bream into man tried to represent his work as a series of narrativeless images glued together only by his artistic persona so like he's described as basically like a surrealist uh plotless writer yeah he is perceived as this uh avant-garde person but so it's kind of interesting that the story itself is relatively uh tight. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's kinda like it's it's it is like this is the pamphlet that's refuting that description, you know you know, in a way, because it's like, yeah, all this weird shit is happening, but it's a very simple story. Guy has a dream, uh, goes to a cafe, they're like, Oh, someone said you're gonna have this dream, goes and he meets the insect mask woman. She's like, You need to kill that woman over there. He's like, Oh I don't know. And then his mate shows up and he's like, you know what? <laughs> I'm gonna kill the You know, it's very yeah. you can kind of do it in two sentences basically but the way it's told is Novak fuck off. Um, the way I love my cat, by the way, it's just, he's, he's real chatty and, um, he's, uh, he's spoiled, but, um, but the way, yeah, the way it's described, I mean, there's so many like just these casuals and, and this sounds like me making fun of the other book, but stuff like it was the anniversary of the liberation of the Ucronium from the anapoleptic Kings. And that shows up a couple of other times. And, uh, it's just so satisfying the way it comes in these paragraphs you know it um it's uh the the details
0: are timed in this very specific way where the like the paragraph wouldn't be the same without it no not at all and and yeah timed is is the best
1: because godstock it feels like whenever there's a bit of downtime it's like oh by the way this is all happening in a there's a babbling brook that talks or whatever whereas this is you know he's He's having these dreams and um, he's seeing the world. None of it is seen for the first time, but he is dismayed by what's happening, by what he's been made do. He doesn't understand it in a different way than you don't understand it. If you know what I mean? Right. That was the other Ligotti thing that happened to me. Like there's this, that his most famous story is called um, gas station carnivals. And it's a guy talking to another guy in a bar being like do you remember this thing called gas station carnival there used to be these gas and he describes what gas station carnivals were like and it's like this got a like kind of fun house that used to be beside kind of filling stations or garages or whatever and he kind of gets to the end the guy's like no <laughs> like you know and, and something else but it's very funny because it's you know somebody recounting a dream and something else is it that and, also uh... i feel like that's a common creepypasta uh Uh, that there is a lot of yeah some of the better creepy pastas are definitely uh they're on his jock all right they're very my my, the one i would recommend actually in terms of one about an artist that is kind of the same well i'm not not going to recommend it i'm going to spoil it so there's one called i mean it doesn't really spoil it but there's one called the bungalow house it's about this guy who on his break from work goes to this kind of installation and one of the things there's an installation and i remember reading this because um, Lisa had a a kind of radio essay that was an installation at the time in something. He, it's this tape recorder and the tape recorder is an artist is a guy describing a bungalow house, like a really rotting, fetid house. And your man gets kind of addicted to um, going in and listening to this, and he tries to buy it off them, and they're like, "I don't know what you're talking about. You need to leave," you know. <laughs> and it's sort of uh, the tape is kind of in the same. It's like a slightly more exaggerated register. And like delivering the story like this, it's pretty obvious what the twist is, which is he's the guy who made the tape, right? Like, And he has totally forgotten this and this is kind of into his head and all this kind of stuff. It is about an artist re-experiencing his own art and it triggering something subconscious in him because he's the one who made... It's like a guy being driven mad by trying to interpret his own art or whatever. It's not the inverse, but it, it feels like it rhymes with the look in the head in terms of this guy is sort of in this poetry logic or whatever yeah. he's, he's jammed in the logic of his own thing and has to kind of follow it to the end like a lot of poetry at the end everybody's sitting around going oh jesus uh, but uh but yeah, yeah yeah
0: yeah i mean i think you're right that it's like does the things that i was describing that i liked about godstock but in this much more muscular and like uh compressed way after he's having this dream of this kind of seemingly like mayday pagan ritual where they're like chasing sh- lambs and yes. uh he's he gets handed a piece of paper that says a man may have many kinds of dreams there are dreams he wishes to continue and others he does not at one hour of the night men may have dreams in which everything is veiled and violet at others unpalatable truths may be conveyed If a certain man wants certain dreams he may be having to cease, he will wait by the Aqualate pond at night and speak to whoever he finds there. Like, just something about that is like this uh, genuinely ominous, like, it sounds like it's going to be more threatening than it ends up being. Yeah, it's
1: sort of like, it kind of is a bit diffuse in a way, but it does have that register
0: the the thing I found it's from one of the first M. John Harrison books I read. It was this thing I wrote down years ago. Uh, so his more recent books are science fiction, and there's one called Nova Swing that's like so like all the names in Luck in the Head are really funny.
1: Very is his mate, right? That's what is it again? Very whatever Yeah,
0: ever... and then oh yeah, Barzoletta Angst. Like Barzaletta like there's Angst, a yeah. one of the main characters in his more recent series of books. It, his name is Vic Serotonin. <laughs> that's
1: see that's good that's like pension stuff right where it's like
0: i know what i'm doing you
1: know like i'm not and it's not just like oh uh, i know i keep saying wise widow cleppity but like that is that's a thing in god's talk that they say a lot and every time i'm like really
0: (laughs) Uh, um, this is a paragraph from nova swing that kind of describes what we were talking about with the The long bar at the Café Surf was full of fractured sunlight and bright air. Sand blew across the floor from the open door. The staff were sleepy and vague. Someone's toddler crawled about between the cane tables wearing only a t-shirt bearing the legend Surf Noir. Meanings, all incongruous, sloshed off this like drops of water as the dead metaphors trapped inside the live one collided and reverberated endlessly and elastically, taking up new positions relative to one another surf noir which is a whole new existence which is a world implied in two words dispelled in an instant which is the foam on the appalling multi-textual sea we drift on which is probably ashamon noted ashamon is like the detective in the story the name of an aftershave
1: yeah that, you see if you put a sword in somebody's hand there i'd be all about it you know like <laughs> and there's that from an m john harrison book yeah or? that's from nova swing yeah. Okay, that's cool. That's good. That's good. Uh, officially declaring that good. I think both fantasy and sci-fi have a lot of scenes where someone is like, "Okay, that's something. Here's what it means. I'm gonna think about what that means and extend this logic out," you know, because and um, I guess in literary fiction that happens with like, you know, John Updike trying to imagine what his wife feels like without asking her or something. But like, this
0: is <laughs> that is you know, that is also uh,
1: speculative fiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, what if? I had human relationships with people. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, thing they're thinking about is interesting. That's a big plus, you know. Like because a lot of the films I like, it's just watching somebody do their job or something. But if it's treated in an interesting way, that's the best shit of all time. But if if it's just, I don't know, a lot of if it feels low me, you know, or something. It's um. And and a lot of people like that. Like you said, you like that kind of bagginess because it it allows a space for creativity. It's actually, that's probably the thing we've said that I'm going to think about the most, which is the the extent to which, what kind of creative reading you do, you know, like that. Because I think with me, because of the crime stuff, I just admire like succinct technique or something, you know, like, or like being able to deliver, like there's this Joe Gore's, the one I referenced earlier, there's this Joe Gore's novel called Dead Skip, i don't think anybody's going to read it so i'm going to just spoil it now um dead skip is the title the novels are set in a it's like repo man whatever you know it's people repoing cars in san francisco i think okay and it's kind of one of these things where you're like is this exciting it is really intense and actually a good youtube search is car repo and things because it's just the most intense situation all of the time it's like i know that's what they say in the film repo man but it really is like i i do i don't agree with the concept of repoing but you have somebody turning up and just saying the most expensive thing you've ever owned isn't yours anymore and seeing how people try know, to stop me that. stealing it yeah it's amazing yeah yeah exactly and like the extent to which all of the techniques in the Joe or because You know, and this this sounds really lame But the fact that he actually did it And he's like, no, this is what you do This is how you get into a car Without, you know, people noticing This is how you stake out something But Dead Skip, the most satisfying thing about Dead Skip Is Dead Skip is the You get halfway through and they drop the title Dead Skip, what is a Dead Skip? Dead Skip is somebody who We have no way of contacting them And if we don't get this They're contracted by the loan company Or whatever And if we don't, um if we don't uh, find this person and get them onto him after a certain amount of time, we take the debt or whatever. You know, it's this really technical uh, term. Yeah. It's like the worst thing that can happen because there's this it's guy a cold case for yeah repo man yeah this guy they can't find basically and they've tried everything and the guy who did find something to do with this case is in a coma. Your man who is investigating it Has been given a certain amount of time to figure this out Which is the amount of time your man Potentially could have left to live See how convoluted this is I'm giving out with swords and this is the kind of shit I'm reading. <laughs> but the incredibly satisfying thing that happens Is the big twist of the book Is they realise Like 20 pages from the end That the dead Skip is literally dead And it changes the whole They're like this guy they were looking for And they, they, they work back and see who gave them the information that most made them think this guy was still alive and then they go to that guy's house and figure out that he had actually been posing as your man the stories got more and more conflicting the more research they did about this guy and they realized that it was two people and the guy was dead but the idea that you get this far drop the title and it it makes sense suddenly we drop the title and then get towards the end and you figure out the title has two meanings like that admiring that stuff is how i read something but when you're doing this creative reading when you're like like imagining what it looks like or adding that kind of thing. That's totally foreign uh, experience to me. And that's really interesting.
0: I mean, just also speaking of swords, I mean, we could probably close it out pretty soon. Sure. because. But the, the sword in The Luck in the Head, she knelt on the bare floorboards at Chrome's feet, her back and shoulders curved around the weapon and slowly pulled hilt and sheath apart. At once, a smell filled the room, thick and stale like wet ashes in a dustbin pallid oval motes of light some the size of a birch leaf others hardly visible drifted up towards the ceiling they congregated in corners and did not disperse while the weapon buzzing torpidly drew a dull violet line after it in the gloom as the woman with the insect's head moved it slowly to and fro in front of her yeah like i guess like even just taking the tools of a fantasy story which would be a sword and kind of making it First of all, pale a uh, glowing pale violet and smelly. It's it's cause swords obviously this this thing would just cut everything off,
1: literally and figuratively. And the fact that it's like rotting and greasy, you know, there's like grease coming through like two levels of the hilt and stuff, and it's you know, and then when he swings it at the end it like disappears or whatever, or like pops or something. Yeah. It's uh, it's great. It's such
0: a good it's such a good image, yeah. That moment to me has this like uh black metal quality to it
1: interesting black black metal is not where it's not the kind of metal like i don't get distinct images huh like that i would say like dungeon synth maybe yeah. or something like where it's like there's a lot of like midi but because that that's more narrative to me than just like you know <laughs> or whatever like black metal is you know um but black metal is a vibe but yeah i think dungeon Dungeons and possibly because it feels again like somebody clicking on something and something happening. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was do know what you mean. The,
0: the static and like degradation, like the buzzing, like that the, the sword is described as buzzing for some okay? Reason. Okay, like, like, rot. Right. yeah, yeah, that's
1: because it does kind of rot the story as well, I guess. From the and it like the fact that everybody is nauseated by it, yeah, and um, yeah, do you want me to stop the recording by the way? Yeah, yeah, we can do that. I'm uh, yeah.